sweating, going over the you know, issues of my nose. I'm like, what's going to be next? I don't know. Ooh, I'm afraid what's going to be next might not be for a while. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're blessed to have our final message today by Mr. Matt Stevens titled, Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, Eric and I were camping last weekend when it seemed like 100 mile an hour wind. So, uh, we'll watch recover from that. I hope you were listening to Storm's message. It was really good. I really appreciated Storm's message. I hope you were paying attention. I was. I have learned something very important. Never go on a road trip with Storm Wood. Or use any of his mechanics. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, Sean, I just, I couldn't resist. <laughs> uh, that was funny. No, I really did appreciate Sean's message, but I, I think it, it goes together with, with what I, I've got prepared for today. I want to ask you something, and... I'm not expecting you to raise your hands or give a testimony. It's, it's private. It's something that um, you know we all have to uh, think about and consider for ourselves. But I want to ask: Do you fear God? Do you fear His voice? Do you fear what He is communicating? As you're thinking about that question, it's not an accusatory question. It really isn't. And, and I think maybe sometimes we might take it that way. Well, I don't know. Maybe you hear his voice all the time, and you're like, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you hear his voice all the time? That voice in your head, is that about it? Does he communicate? And how does he do that? more importantly, are we paying attention? Are we listening to what he has to say? You know, there are ways in which he communicates through us, and some of which Sean touched upon in his message about how outcomes take place. And you can kind of see God's work in that. And you can see, you know, that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't prayed or hadn't set focus in God's hands and He intervened. And certainly when we go on road trips with Storm, we'll, we'll pray a lot. <laughs> Definitely pray for change. And so th- there's ways in which God communicates to us that are indirect, right? They are not hearing His voice, however. And that's really what I want to focus on, because I'm talking specifically about hearing his voice. When I was uh, a young boy, I had a lot of ear hearing problems, a lot of stuff in my ears. I'd have surgeries to drain that stuff and get it out. And, and in between those surgeries, uh, you know, there were times where I really wasn't hearing very well. And so my name 
my given name, my parents couldn't call me by that because they just wouldn't hear it. They could ask me for ice cream or candy or whatever it was. I would, I'd be completely oblivious. So they realized they could yell, Fanny. And for some reason, I could hear Fanny. I don't know why they came up with that, but I turned around and I'm like, she's Fanny. And so then they started just using that, probably out of frustration. And I could hear. And so obviously that worked for them. Called it my name, but it kind of became my name for a little while. And so my hearing improved a little bit. I think it's a good illustration, though, of the way that God is wanting to communicate and talk to us. So to use whatever means possible to get our attention, right? to get our attention, so that we can hear Him. And maybe He'll call us by a different name. Maybe He's called you by a different he wants to hear from us. And he wants us to hear from him. And again, not in the circumstances of life, of course, but more than that. I think he wants you to hear his voice. Perhaps you do hear his voice, as I mentioned before. Perhaps you hear his voice on a regular basis in your sermons, not for you. But I suspect that we don't. That for differing reasons, the busyness of life, maybe never trying to listen to the voice of God, whatever reason it is, we may not be hearing His voice personally, intimately. So, I was thinking about this question, and I was really thinking about, well, heard a lot of sermons about hearing God's voice. I can't say that I have, and I kind of did a quick look through the sermons that I've done over I can't remember how many years now, 20 plus years of, of preaching, and I don't think I've done a message quite like this. So I don't think it's something that we, we study very much. But let's give ourselves a little break there. Let's say, okay, well, let's enter into this and try and understand if there is something we can do in our Christian faith to hear his voice more intimately. Don't get me wrong. I'm not implying that we're not being led, that we're not being led by the Spirit. There are ways in which God communicates to us. But I'm talking specifically about a conversation with God. There's times, you know, we turn to the scriptures. We're in a great struggle. We're in a crisis. Crisis of faith, financial crisis, crisis on the road. And we might open up the scriptures to a random place and hear on the page exactly what we need to hear. God does communicate to us. But this is not what I'm talking about. It's about hearing voice of God in our minds and in our hearts. Now, it might sound radical, it might sound unusual, and that would not be an 
uncommon expression of something about this and about this idea. I think we're all familiar with uh, the hymn in the garden. Anybody remember that hymn? It goes like this. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there now never shall ever be. We sing this hymn, don't we? It's a familiar hymn. There's some research on this hymn, and it's apparently it's one of those hymns that people either love or hate. There's no middle ground, apparently. Personally, I love it. I love the imagery. I love the message. I love the truth of it. Maybe you do too. What I didn't know was the backstory to the creation of this hymn, and it's really fascinating. Old hymns have really interesting stories about how they were created. Sometimes a terrible disaster and heartache and pain. Sometimes just expressions of joy. Sometimes blessings. And and they're all interesting stories. This one is maybe perhaps more unusual. The author, C. Austin Miles, who lived from 1868 to 1946, he was a Pennsylvania-educated pharmacist. A pharmacist. Said, pharmacy is not for me. I want to spend my life writing poems and hymns and publishing hymns for the Christian world. And so that's what he decided to do, and that's what he did. And he gave the account of how he got that hymn. This this hymn that I just quoted. He says, One day in March 1912, I drew my Bible toward me. It opened at my favorite chapter. A well-worn line in his, his Bible, right? Uh, this is John chapter 20, verses eight, uh, 1 through 18. That meeting of Jesus and Mary Magdalene had lost none of its power and charm, he said. As I read it that day, I seemed to be part of the scene. I became a silent witness to that dramatic moment in Mary's life when she knelt before her Lord and cried, Rabboni. My hands were resting in the Bible while I stared at the light blue wall. As the light faded, I seemed to be standing at the entrance of a garden, looking down a gently winding path shaded by olive branches. And then he describes the arrival of Mary and Peter and John as they gather at the tomb. And he's seeing this in his mind. I awakened in full light, gripping the Bible with muscles tense and nerves vibrating. Under the inspiration of this vision, I wrote as quickly as the words could be formed, the poem exactly. He believed that he was given a vision. That he actually entered into this scene that we read about in John chapter 20 
began to have a conversation with Jesus as a normal in the garden. That's why he wrote the words that he wrote. And, you know, we have no way of proving it, right? We can't prove it, and we can't disprove it. It's his experience, it's his testimony. And we've seen for him that it's from that experience, from what he believed that he saw. And I don't doubt it. Seems to be that this account is pretty regular. It's how he accounted for it. And I think it was pretty brave, wouldn't you say? To say, hey, God gave me this vision. Because only important people get vision. Only prophets get vision. Only special people in the Bible get vision. Only special people hear the voice of God. But is that true? I don't think it is. He experienced something that God, that Jesus, was walking with him, talking with him, as he walked through that garden. Is this unchristian? John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice. I stop there. We also sing another hymn. My sheep hear my voice. It's easy to just say, what he is actually saying. He is telling a bunch of Jews that were gathered around him that his, that his sheep, his followers, his disciples hear his voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now you might say, well, of course, his sheep, his disciples right there, around him on the earth at that time, they, they heard his voice, of course. Even the people he was talking to heard it. But I think we know that's not really what he's saying. I think we understand how he ties these elements together, that he is talking about his followers no matter what time period we live in, including today. Because he ties each piece together. My sheep hear my voice, therefore I know them, and they follow me, and I'll give them eternal life. This is all connected. So the idea of hearing his voice, our Savior gave it to us at the beginning, right here, in his earthly ministry. So we can and should hear his voice. Jesus makes it even more emphatic in uh, John earlier in the passage, in John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Is not the shepherd of the sheep. Is not the one we should be listening to. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by 
for us if He is calling us by name. Maybe your given name. Maybe a new name. Maybe a different name that He's given you. Are you banished? Because of your attention. It's intimate. It's personal. It's not, I have called generally these people. I have called by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. How do we follow him? We know his voice. You know, when your, your child has uh, wandered off from the, the, the grocery store and they can't see you anymore and they start yelling out and you just call, I'm over here, a couple of words, I'm right here, they know exactly that it's you and that you're there and they can find you. So this idea that we can hear his voice isn't strange at all. It should be real. It should be commonplace for us. Yet, he says, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. We know the voice of God. He's just clearly using this imagery to explain what his followers are doing, what his believers, what his disciples, what his saints, Hear his voice. Follow him. John continues in this this imagery, and, and I guess they weren't understanding it too well. Jesus used this illustration, he says, but they did they did not understand the things that were spoken to them. John's not including himself. He understood. But they did. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who have ever come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them, for I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. For the hireling, he who's not the shepherd, he who's not recognized by the voice, one who does not do that does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. Get out of there. That's not the voice we want to follow. We won't follow if we listen to the voice of Jesus, the shepherd. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. And so this, this vital message that we, we can forget that we know him, that we should know him, that we can hear his voice. Other sheep I have, which are not.
not of this fold. Then I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and that there will be one flesh and one faith. What are we if we are not universal? We're a part of this flock, this one flock that He has created. And we're from different time periods of the people He was talking to here, but it has been true throughout the ages that those that hear His voice and follow Him in his flock. So again, Jesus' perspective is, is almost an expectation, right, that we will and that we can hear his voice. That we will recognize his voice. And, very importantly, that we will be able to distinguish his voice from the voice of the enemy. Because there is another voice out there. There's a voice of lies. There's the voice of deception and corruption. And we have an instrument by which we can tell the difference. It is the Word of God. So if that voice is telling us something against His Word, that voice is not deceptive. That's a really important thing to remember. Many, many years later in vision, Speaking again to John, when he was very old, Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, hears my voice. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. Again, this is expectation that if we hear his voice, it's part of how we overcome. Did you notice that? It's a critical piece to following him and hearing him and being directed by him. He wanted the reader of that prophecy of the book of Revelation to be able to recognize that he is standing at the door. You can open it. It's safe. Did you recognize the voice on the inside? Invite him in to dinner. And why do you invite somebody in to dinner? Fellowship. And what do you do in fellowship? I mean, if you just wanted to provide a meal, you could you could just order them a pizza, right? And have it delivered to wherever they are. We invite somebody for dinner, for supper, so that we can converse, so that we can do life together for a little while, so we can have a conversation, so that we can speak the gospel. We have so many examples of that in Scripture, don't we? And so many examples from our, our own our own life. I remember one time that we, we had uh, some a very influential uh, teacher and, and speaker in our life over for dinner, and we're kind of nervous, and we're like, "Well, got to make sure everything's set right, and house has got to be clean, and uh, got to have the right meal, and we need backup in case we don't know what to say." So we invited 
and other people to join us, and then we were able to be a little more comfortable. And after a while, eventually, we had a good conversation and fellowship together. The whole purpose of the meal is to give us something to do while we're waiting our turn to speak. Fellowship together. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying that if you recognize his voice, you open that door, he will come in and have a conversation. Have a spiritual meal with us. What does that look like for you? I don't know. We're all very unique. Maybe for you that's in the midst of Bible study and prayer. Maybe it's when you're hiking. And you're walking by the way. I, I don't know what it might look like for you, but there is a way in which you can get to hear God's voice personally and intimately. Have you ever read the stories about the Word before He became Jesus Christ? Coming down and visiting Abraham, spending time with Him, I'm going to go do this thing. And again, we have this idea, well, yeah, that in the Bible, God spoke to the important people, the special people. But we have the Spirit of God in us. What do you think you are? You're special. You're important. But you may still be an average Joe or an average Jane, and that's good. Keep a little humility, right? But we're no different than those in the Scripture that we see talking with God. We tend to look at these people and say, yeah, but they were special. They had a special role. There was a specific thing that God wanted out of the situation. So that's why he spoke to them. But that's not true. I would look at these great men and women of faith and say, well, of course, they were special. But a careful examination of Scripture shows us that that's not true. And the idea of God talking to us and talking to people in the Old Testament is actually commonplace. Did you realize that? I never really realized that until I was reading a book on this very topic and realizing, wait, is that true? Did God really talk to, to human beings a lot? Surely it was just a few special people. Well, you can do the same search that I did. So one of the phrases that came to my mind was, uh, what was it? The word of the Lord came to, fill in the blank, saying, right? It's a very common phrase, especially in the prophets. You know how many times that phrase pops up? 638 times. And then I, I was like, well, that's just one phrase. How many times did God say, and God said, and he's talking to a human being. There's at least over 2,000 times in the Old Testament that God was directly talking to a human being. Now, of course, some of those times are to the same human being. We have prolonged interaction with Abraham, prolonged interaction with Jeremiah, right? The prophets and so on. But, 
with people that he was talking to that were far from the elite list of special people. We'll get into that a little bit. There's a story that we know about a guy named Balaam. Anybody remember Balaam? There's a joke about him having a smart donkey. And uh, that donkey will talk to him, right? Well, earlier in the, in, the, in the story here, in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 9, we just have God coming to Balaam and saying something. God spoke to Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me saying, Look, the people has come out from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. They're everywhere. It's like a plague of people. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them all out. Of course, he was talking about Israel. God said, <coughs> excuse me, God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. And later again, God comes to him and says, in Numbers uh, 22, verse, uh, verse 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went to the country of Israel. And of course, what ensues is that very funny story of where Balaam's donkey turns into a talking donkey and tells him, you know, to be before, can't you see the Malik of the Lord with a really large sword in front of him? I'm trying to go around this guy. And it's humorous. Was Balaam special? Well, in the scheme of things, he was, didn't seem very righteous. He wasn't really trying to do what God said. He was all too happy to curse Israel until he said, don't you do it. He wasn't on the A-list of special people, and yet God talked to him and gave him a talking donkey. And that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm sure that's where C.S. Lewis got his Chronicles of Narnia idea of the, the talking animal. So, Balaam was a sorry excuse for a prophet. But God said, don't do it. Still not convinced. Okay, what about Nebuchadnezzar? Anybody remember Nebuchadnezzar? A pagan king who destroyed the, the nation of Judah, took them all into captivity, butchered a whole bunch of them. Not a nice guy. Why would he be on the wasn't on the A-list, but God spoke to him. He gives an account himself in Daniel chapter 4. He says, uh, you know, he, let me just practice it and remind everybody that, you know, this was a year after God had warned him through Daniel with a vision, don't be prideful about everything that you've made in this great kingdom. You didn't do anything. I gave it to you for my purpose. And exactly a year to the day, this really smart guy that was a very, very humble chap said, look at this 
great Babylon while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from man. And your dwelling place shall be with beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to King idiots we have leading it. God is in control. He determines who rules in the kingdom of men. Under Him. Under Him. For His purpose. So, was Nebuchadnezzar special? He was righteous? He was really, really good? Because God just spoke to him? No, he was arrogant. Prideful. Ignorant and very forgetful, apparently. And God still spoke to that person. I think we'd all agree we don't want God to talk to us like that. Let's not go there. But hey, if we're on the wrong track, He might just do that. To get our attention. So that we'll pay attention. We don't have enough time to tell of how God spoke to Hagar, slave woman forced to be a surrogate mother for Abraham and Sarah, and yet he spoke kindly to her, found her in the desert, in the wilderness, and spoke to her. She made her joyful and live. What about the prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, many others. They, they, they spoke to men and women of all backgrounds all levels of experience, of all different spiritual and moral conditions, God wants to speak to us. He centers what? His word. Not just all things. And he sent the word as flesh so that he could talk to us, reach us in any way possible. He spoke to men and women just like us. So why do we think that he wouldn't speak to us? Why do we think that? We know, as we talked about, he does speak to us in certain ways. Maybe sometimes he speaks to us through, the, what does uh, Paul say, the vanity, the uselessness of preaching. Sometimes he does that and speaks to us. And sometimes through a conversation with a friend, sometimes just reading his word. Yes, those things are there and they're important. But that's not all the ways in which he speaks to us. Actually hearing his voice, that is something that I think we may have lost the grasp of, at least on a consistent basis. Think about that. We don't seemingly have our ears tuned. Do you ever have your ears tuned? Normally when you're done something wrong, right? Parents, grab you by the ear. But our spiritual ears, are they tuned? Have we let them tune our ears to his voice? 
hear what he wants to tell us. The perfect example of this, I think, is somebody that God talked to all the time. And yet this same individual somehow got out of the practice at different times, certainly in this one particular moment, and couldn't hear God at all. His name was Elijah. He heard God's voice all the time. Well, right after he called fire down from heaven, it consumed all the, the, the sacrifice and the water and the altar itself and destroyed everything. And then, because they were all weak from their own bloodletting, he went around and butchered the 400 priests, 400 priests of Baal. And he's done all this stuff that God told him to do. And he's heard his voice to, to do all of that in this amazingly faithful way, this towering figure gets scared, afraid, he questions his faith, he questions whether or not he's even of any value whatsoever, and runs away. We pick the story up in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods, not God, but gods, do to me and more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and then left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He was in a low, low place. You ever been in a place like that? is Elijah, and he is saying, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. This is beyond me. And his purpose is to go out into the wilderness and die. Just like his ancestors. Same. Faithless and weak. Just like maybe some of us have said about ourselves. And then it says, as he lay there and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake of bread and coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. Their hunger got the better of him. Because I think he was just going there to just, I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to die of that dehydration problem. And, you know, you read about some of the things he has to do. In one sense, you can't blame him. Right? This was a terrible burden that he had in this performing of being this prophet in, in Israel. And they were a miserable bunch of people. And he was trying to give them the word from God. 
just turned him around and was just, I mean, you can only beat your head against the wall so many times. And so he felt, I think, he just couldn't do it anymore. But here arrived the meal. It was baked on coals. I mean, that's kind of interesting. It was a baked loaf of bread. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time. He just went right back down to sleep again. Right? He's depressed. I mean, he's just depressed. And again, the angel of the Lord comes back a second time and touches him and says, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, ate, and drank. Went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. You know what that mountain is, right? The mountain of God, Sinai, where the children of Israel gathered and they heard the covenant and commandments of God. He went to that mountain, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. In that place, and beheld, and behold, rather, the word of the Lord. Again. But it's different this time. And I want you to notice some things because God is coming to a man who is broken, who is depressed, who is fearful, who's unappreciated, who's feeling sorry for himself. And having what we would charitably describe today as a world-class pity party. Anybody ever had one of those? Throwing yourself a pity party or two? Generally, you don't invite friends, right? Because they'll probably tell you what for. So it's a, a, it's a party of one. Maybe, maybe Matt Field, party of one. Not to say, buck up your ideas. Get over yourself. No, it hurts. First, he's going to talk to him about where he is. And, and treat him and treat his heart. And the, this depression and this fear that he's in. He's going to talk to him first. Then he's going to do some other things. Because God is so gracious. Because God could have said, well, okay, Elijah's all used up. All right, who else can I use? Well, thanks a lot. But he didn't do that. He came and cared for Elijah. Why did he do that? Friends did a relationship with him. They had journeyed together. They had walked through fire, literally. Right? This was close, personal friend of God. Elijah. He had done amazing things for God. And so he says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? Trying to get his attention. You're really here to just show yourself? Why did I bring you to this mountain? Why am I talking to you? 
continue to participate. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel. I have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and I seek my life, I have to take my life. And he said, and God said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, I'm not exactly sure why this experience helped Elijah. It was it was really very unique for him. God was caring for him from where he was. And I'm not sure why all those elements. I mean, we, we've got some But in the end, the most important thing was that it was a process by which God tuned Elijah's heart. Because if you're not listening carefully, you can overlook very easily a still small voice. And so you have to get his attention. You have to rattle him a little bit. You have to bring all of this noise, and then when noise goes away, what happens? him in a right frame of mind to listen to what God has to say. We're going rushing down into uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 14, and he said, he still says this, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, I alone am left, and I seek my life, I seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, I want you to do some things for me. Anoint Hazel as king over Syria. You shall anoint Jehu, the son of uh, Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the, the son of uh, Shaphat, of Abel uh, Mehalot. process right here that will lead to Elijah's retirement. Go to a retirement home to retire prophets. And 
he's no longer tasked with having to carry this burden. There's a little bit that has to happen, and there's some training for Elijah, and there's, there's some things that happen. But God is bringing him to this next stage. And that's God's grace. Hearing Elijah, but then Elijah hearing God and doing so. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, will kill. God's work is going to continue. He's still going to bring judgment on Israel, on Moab, on all of those nations around the planet. And he says this. This is the, I think, the final piece for Elisha. Are you listening, Elisha? Are you paying attention? He says, Reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed low. 7,000. They're not alone. They're in the same fight that you are in. They have the faith that you have. You're not alone. Every mouth that has not kissed. You've done my will, Elijah. You were never alone. Missed it sometimes, thinking that you were. But I hear you, and I'm putting in your patience. We're going to go through our prophetic retirement time. And that burden's not going to be yours for much longer. You've done enough. The kindness, the graciousness of God, the love that God has towards his servant. Good. And he did all of this by being quiet, having a conversation. As a man who is tempted, as the scripture says, in like manner as we are, all the same weaknesses, all the same strengths, God talks to us. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect God to talk to us. God came and talked with his friend trusted, dedicated prophet, and he was kind enough to engage with him and correct him and enable him to hear the still small voice. So when I had picked this, this scripture that came to mind as I was writing this message, I was then reminded of something that happened to me a few nights earlier. And um, yes, once again, I was struggling to sleep. Nights, and so I, I when I'm finally learning now that when that happens, I need to just stop fighting it, get up, get a nice cup of decaffeinated tea, something to make me feel better, and pray and study and just take that time and say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to dedicate it to, and maybe try and find an answer to whatever's bugging me, bothering me at the time. So. I did that, and I went to the kitchen table, and I want to, I want to admit something to you guys. I struggled after this. I think 
really like the manuscript in different ways, and I'm going to give you a little insight into some of the questions that they had inside of it. But I was tired. I did a lot, I worked a lot, and I was throwing myself a class A paper. Now, some of you said you did those things. They'll be looking at me all day tomorrow. And so I thought, well, what am I so upset about? Well, I mean, I worked hard. I did these things. I did that thing. Yeah, so did everybody else. I had to deal with problems and issues and challenges and people criticizing. Yeah. Pretty sure we're going to have a lot of challenges. We may do it for the first time. Hi, Glenda. Good to see you in online. But ask any single person that was serving at the feast, and it wasn't smooth sailing every day. I'm almost certain of that. They all had challenges and difficulties. And I was just playing on a lot of just style paper. Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this? Is it doing any good? Am I, is, is there any worth in what I'm doing? our own voice criticizing but it's a challenge and so I was doing this and I was thinking about and subsequently thinking about what everybody else that was serving you know thinking about Rick and Brian all the logistical work that they do and then jumping in and doing everything else that needed to be done at a moment's notice and everybody that served on the food just jumping in and dealing with problems and having to think on their feet and Amanda buying all the food and concerned that it was the right amount, being really diligent and deliberate. And it's a stressful thing in, in, in those moments to do these things. There's so many. I wish I could name everybody. All of them. Right? All of them. Sacrificing. And so it's easy to come to the end of that and say, Okay, to ask that question. Was it worth And to ask God, why am I doing this? So that's what I was doing. The class A, top of the line, pretty close. I was upset. It was tears. It was anger. I was also dealing with some other things to do with my career and where it's not where I wanted to be. Upset. So at two in the morning, I go outside and it's pitch black. 
not in the wind. God was not in the wind chime. And I felt for the tears. going to tell anybody about this. And so I go back inside, and I sit at the table, and I just sit quietly. I didn't start with my rant again. I didn't start with my prayers again. I just tried to not think about the 18 million things that your brain says, ooh, look, squirrel. <laughs> Don't forget this tomorrow. Just try and give yourself some space, right? And just kind of clear that. And then I did hear a still small voice. And he was reminding me of the last time that he spent some time with this thing. Apparently, I'm not getting enough of this. I'll try to put it in. And he gave me a scripture that he's told me before. And it's a scripture from Isaiah 43. And it says, But now, thus says the Lord, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I heard that, but I hear it again. And it's still small voice. The rest of the scripture goes, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, you have no way of proving or disproving any of what I'm telling you. Right? You have no way of proving or disproving that I did or did not hear the voice of God. I know that I did. It was clear, it was quiet. Stop yelling at him for this bit. And it was not in the wind, or the wind chimes. It wasn't in all of those big things that we think God tells us to attend. So he told me, gave me a few more thoughts. Not very, didn't last very long. And then he told me. carry on this conversation. And I said, there's no more conversation. So I said, here we go. I mean, he didn't say that. He's just done. So I went to bed and went to sleep. That's what he said. That's what he said. Why am I telling you this? Why am I sharing that I can go at the top of the line why am I sharing this with you? It's not a boat. I am not trying to compare myself to Elijah, except in all the ways in which I threw myself to the fire. I've weakened all week. I am at times fearful. I am at times doubting. I have clearly at times questioned this thing, this walk that God has put me on. Why is he having me do certain things? And I have no Don't let it go. I think we can all be like Elijah. 
don't worry, I can't call fire down from heaven. And I can't stop the rain. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because I want you to know that it is that we can feel that. There's no That it is scriptural, that it is biblical, that it is common in scripture. When we, we talk about the Old Testament, I think about all the times in the New Testament that God has talked to his people. He's not in the wind or the wind chime. He's not in the earthquake or the big grand things that we sometimes expect. He is, however, lives within us. Why would we think it strange that he does not approach with us and for us to hear his voice? In closing, just turn to Acts chapter 22. In this passage, Paul is reciting his conversion process. He's reciting what happened to him. And he's reciting how a man called Ananias heard God had a conversation with God, even said, God, are you sure you want me to go to this guy who's been persecuting your church? And God said, yes. I want you to go to him. Go do this. We don't know hardly anything else about Ananias. Just that. But he heard God and God spoke to him. Run of the mill, spirit-filled So then Paul, talking about it, says, and he's giving his testimony to a bunch of Jews who are about to get really upset with him. And he says, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that time, at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of God. Is there so much talk? Can we do that For you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Perhaps God is speaking to us today. Perhaps he's trying to tell us something. Maybe he's saying, the God of our fathers has chosen you. That you should know his will. That you should know his will. See the just 